warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! This just in. We can confirm reports of flying saucers attacking Seattle. Please stay indoors and... We are back! The Bone Bat Show presents... Comedy of Horrors Film Fest returning for its fourth cinematic onslaught. April 26th, 2 p.m. at Central Cinema in Seattle, Washington. Featuring the U.S. premiere of Love Bite, directed by Andy DeEmony. And the Seattle premiere of Hellbenders from writer-director J.T. Petty. Plus 31 comedy horror shorts from around the world. A colossal prize giveaway, fantastic cocktails, a full menu, and live music from Beefy and Kirby Crackle. The Comedy of Horrors Film Fest is brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewery, Corner Comics, Scarecrow Video, Games and Gizmos, Dolcetta Artisan Suites, Paizo Publishing, Dark Horse Comics, Oni Press, Vortex Movies and Music, Alternative Cinema, Stalker Farms, GT Printing Equipment, G.G. Silverman, author of Vegan Teenage Zombie Huntress, Seattle Geekly, Death Star, and Jerry Cooch. Tickets available now at Bonehand.com. Can I stop talking like this now? You Please. can. The 2014 right. Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. It's the balls. Damn, you suck at this. Jack and Saucers ain't like Dustin Crops, boy. Bill Beats, drop a fat motherfucking beat right here. Boom, 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 boom. Bat, 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 bat. Boom, 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 boom. Bat, 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 bat. Boom, boom. Bat, 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 bat. Boom, Bat, bat, Listen. Horror flicks, hot chicks, and sci-fi book picks. Say what pisses you off, tell us a joke about dicks. In the mix, you got the desk, not telling you where it's at. Stephen Gord, oh my lord, bowing down to Bone Bat. Podcasting your asses in nerdy, massive classes. Speak the speak of the geek to all the internet masses. Take your glasses off the set, I'm dropping bombs on your dome. In your home, pull your bootstraps up, it's time to burn chrome. Dirty jokes from the nerdy blokes, chewing on them curvy loads. Of that quirky counterculture wrapped up in their wordy show. B-movie holy men, wombat metalhead, Paul Amen, independent artist friend Renaissance casters of the full fan spectrum Nonchalant notables break through the bedlam of bullshit Quick wit, frigates of the populace Vulcan with some Romulus Rolling prime like Optimus What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 115 of the Bone Bad Show. This is Steve. This is Gord. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm having a fantastic evening. First, did you hear that new theme song? Yeah, how great is that? That is freaking amazing. We sound really good now, way better than we should. Oh, so here's the story behind that. Last year, Death Star did their Kickstarter in order to go to Nerdapalooza. And uh, one of their tears was that they would do a song remix for you. 
So uh, Gordon and I supported them at that tier to get them at Nerdpalooza. And then in the uh, interim, we've been waiting for our new theme song. In the intercourse. Yeah, that too. I'm always waiting for that. But that just showed up just in time for this episode. Bill Beats did a magnificent job basically slicing up and remixing a new version of our theme song using the same pieces, but just all changed around. And then all new raps by Cosplay and MC3PO of Death Star. So cool. Absolutely cool. I'm, I was going to say I'm loving it, but I don't want to sound like a McDonald's commercial, but I am loving it. <laughs> Did I tell you that Julie's uncle wrote that jingle? You did tell me that. This is a, that's absolutely true. Anyway, so we are thrilled to have a new theme song. Right now, I'm drinking a huge dead guy ale with a glow in the dark label. <laughs> You're drinking a huge dead guy. Yeah, it's delicious, man. Rogue breweries, they're awesome. I'm drinking a uh, Reed's extra ginger brew, all natural Jamaican style ginger beer. Jamaican style ginger beer. So is yeah. that alcoholic or is it like root beer? No, it's it's like ginger ale, except okay. gingerier. Gingerier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what happens when you have to go to court and you're a redhead? Do you get a gingery? If it's a gingery of your peers, yes. <laughs> anyway, so uh this is a kind of a special episode that I always look forward to every year. Our film festival preview show. Because you know, we do, what, like 15 podcasts a year, and only five of them are film festival related. <laughs> well, related, but this one is really focused on the film festival. The next one will have some recap, but this is the one where we go whole hog. This is the real, legit, honest-to-podcast podcast about the film fest. We're going to rock this one. We got some cool stuff lined up for you. We've got interviews with our feature directors, both of them. Actually, we should probably take a moment. Another new announcement that we've got, the second feature for the 2014 Comedy Horrors Film Fest, Gord. It is Hellbenders. 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 From writer-director J.T. Petty. He actually joined us for an interview this week, so we've got that. We have an interview with Andy D. Emini, who was the director of Love Bite, the feature that we announced last week. And third, we've got an interview with John R. Dilworth, who was the director of a fantastic short called The Dirty Birdie. Wah, wah, wah. One of that our sounds already in my head. I know. So we're going to have a bunch of great film festival stuff lined up. In addition, Kyle from Kirby Crackle has joined us for an interview. That's wonderful. And Beefy. So uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the fest as things proceed. But uh, why don't we do what we normally do about this time, Gord? What do we normally do about this time, Steve? What pisses us off? This close to the festival with a new theme song? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing pisses me off these days. In fact, working on the artwork for the film festival allows me to collaborate with you. And collaborating with you, Steve, is an effortless joy. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't realize that we share the same vision for everything. It's not not a thing. Not a thing pisses me off. We both want the, the same things exactly out of our artwork. <laughs> Man, you're a toolbox tonight. Kind of. <laughs> no, here's what pisses me off, okay, man. Go, go. I've known you for roughly 864 years. Yes. And only now, only now in my old age do I discover that you and I come at art 
from completely different angles. When you think of a cool thing, a physical thing to look at, you look at it as a collector's item. You want it to document that event. So if it's a CD or a poster or a shirt, it's not good unless it's got the date, the time, the, the things involved, the people, the places, all of it like on that. Pack as much stuff on there as possible. You're like a, a little kid with Legos who's making a spaceship and it's got to have laser guns and Gatling guns and bombs and bombs that shoot lasers and then lasers that shoot bombs and like have all this stuff and pack it in. And I'm like, no, let's cut it all out. Let's have a nice, simple design. I'm like design oriented. I want it to look cool. You want it to be a historical record, a Rosetta Stone for the future archaeologist to like put things together and go, this, this was the event that Steve was involved in just before he became master of the universe. <laughs> it's taken me this long to figure that out. You see, certainly that's true. What you're kind of talking about is the festival t-shirt, which that's that is absolutely, every word you said about that was true. But if we were to say just make a bone bat show t-shirt i wouldn't have any of that baggage so it is sort of wrapped around the fact that what we're doing is a one-time event or each time we do it (laughs) it might just be the last time (laughs) (laughs) if we've pissed each other off so much that we wouldn't do it again but i think it's sort of a situational thing certainly that's true and i do like to memorialize things i like to get the concert shirt when i go to a show that has the date for Seattle on the back. So I can remember, yeah, I was there, and that's the date. It was August 4th or whatever it was. So I do like that aspect, yes. So, I can cop know, to that. All right. And I can cop to the fact that really the best T-shirt for me is, it's not even a logo. It's essentially one pixel. <laughs> it's just a pixel. And you should know by that pixel how awesome the event was. Yeah, I, guess, I guess that's I, it. I got to expand out from there a little, I guess. But that said, I mean, to the listeners who don't know, we go back and forth with things like, well, you know, what about if this had a little bit more of this? Or what if this was a little bit this way? And I send it back and Gordon says, fuck you. That's stupid. It looks (laughs) so much better if it was like this. And I know it annoys you, but I fully believe that going through this process, we end up with the very best product. Because we have put it through this rigorous discipline. No, no. I, I think we get that way to a point. We improve the product to a point, And like, it's got everything Steve wants and everything I want. And I take it and I push it around. I think about balance and I think about how it's going to look. And I think about how it's going to read. And, you know, if we're doing something that's asymmetrical, I maybe use some elements on the other side to even the weight out enough. And we get it all done the way we want it. Then Steve goes... Can you keep fucking with it? What if we took that thing on the left and moved it up? And so I'm like, all right, I'm fine. I move it up. Well, now the left side's all jacked up. Like, yeah. Yes. Yes, it is, Steve. And then we, we go through like maybe three or four of those where Steve finally goes, uh, Gordon's just too big of a dick to work with now. And he, he stops. <laughs> and then we move on to the next thing. Or I get to the point of, ah, close enough for rock and roll. Well, there's I can, I can go with that. So right Anyway, in. well, I appreciate it. I mean, I have to say... Holy shit, dude. This is our best enormous package ever. People will be crying that they didn't buy this. It is the most enormousest. It's got the most swag, the most awesome. I don't even want to tell people too much about it because we have really stepped it up to the next level. You guys are going to be thrilled when you see it. We would break the internet if we told you all the stuff, all the cool that's in this package. Love to tell you, can't do it. Just can't do it. But you know what? 
the people what? at the film festival are going to be showing them off the 20 who bought them and uh, there's going to be some jealous people now one cool thing Von K from Motion yeah. Picture Massacre do you know what he did this year what do you do this year? Lives in New Jersey, can't make it to the festival, wanted to support us. He bought an enormous package for us to give away to somebody at the festival. <gasps> Some lucky sap is going to get the Vaughn treatment. That's right. Somebody who didn't make it to do the Kickstarter is still going to have an opportunity to get one of these rare items. That's too cool. That is. And Thanks, Vaughn. his ticket along with uh, Jeffrey Williams, the director of Hold the Mayo from last year, he also donated a ticket. So those two tickets were the prize for our Bone Battle tournament. So, I mean, it all is just this interlocking series of awesome. It is. Circle like... of life, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to sing it. Can't make me. Circle of... Sorry. All right, is that so is that all that pisses you off? Just me, basically? Basically you. Isn't that enough? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess. Why? Is there anything that pisses Dude, you speaking off? Speaking of a lot of me, yeah, something that pisses me off. So I'm working on the uh, two DVD All the Bone Bat sets, which also is going in the enormous packages. Mm-hmm. And we have a little problem, Gord. A little problem? There's too much of us. <laughs> Are we too massive to be <laughs> held by two DVDs? Too buku. Over nine gigabytes of show. I was shocked when I saw that. Because the last time, it all fit on one DVD. So I was like, oh, yeah, well, it's been, you know, about that time again. We should be able to fit it all into two DVDs. How did we double the amount of show? Just Over doubled the amount of show. What happened? I don't know. Are we in high definition now? Yes, that much more awesome. Now, I will say that usually when I create this show to release it, it is the very best quality that I can do. So what I'm going to have to do is actually compress it a little to get it down in volume just to fit everything on. I'll still be able to do it on two DVDs, and it'll still sound decent to the human ear. But uh, frankly, to all I was you dogs shocked. that are listening, it's going to kind of suck for you. I was shocked that we had that much content. Holy smokes, it's like over 175 hours that we've done since 2007. That is amazing. <laughs> Have you considered the potential effects on the national economy if this stuff gets released into the wild? If people <laughs> just know. spend all their time listening to this instead of working? Well, you got the stats there. 117 shows. Now, that also is including uh, Bone Bat Zero and the Radio Free Hipster Show 108 that we did with him. The April Fool show. Absolutely. We've featured on the show 97 different bands. We've had 129 interviews, and that's not even counting haunt tours and other stuff that we've done. I mean, that's just <laughs> 129 interviews. That blew my mind when I added it all up. I was just shocked. You'd think your lips would be tired by now. <laughs> anyway, it pisses me off that I can't fit all of our content on two DVDs. Uh, the other thing that pisses me off, and I hope I don't get myself in trouble speaking out of school here, but uh, as the director and curator of a film festival, yes, every year, I mean, we, we kind of have a niche festival. It's a comedy horror fest, right? Right. And there aren't that many films each year that kind of fit into that niche. So you kind of have to look around. And it amazes me how hard a number of studios in Hollywood work at not selling movies to people. It is amazing. Hey, I'm a legitimate film festival in the Seattle area. I would like to take a look at your feature in order to perhaps screen it at a fest. We'll get it a lot of publicity. It'll be a blast. Don't even get a call back. 
Yeah, what's that about? I don't know. And I mean, we want to put the very best package together for our audience. And it pisses me off to no end when I can't seem to make any headway with studios in Hollywood. And then on the other hand, you'll have other studios who do a magnificent job of getting back to you and they like what we do or they've given us movies before. And actually, there's a couple of folks who are disappointed when they don't have something that's comedy horror for us each year. Yeah. We like those guys. And so, yeah, it's like you've got some great studios, and then you have some other studios who just, it's really difficult to work with, and I, that pisses me off, too. Yeah, lame. Come on. You know what's amazing to me is when you get the studios to go, hey, no, we don't, we can't get back to you. We're making big plans. And then their big plan involves, oh, yeah, actually, we're just going to go direct to video. We're, we're going to go, like... <laughs> sell it in the bargain bin at the checkout stand right really you, you didn't want to be in the film fest because you're afraid it was going to interfere with that yeah and nice. you know i mean granted a lot of it has to do with timing like grabbers we tried to get it the year before and it kind of had to go through distribution and we just ended up being on the leading edge of it the next year but there are some films that you know like by the time we actually get to it in its timing it's almost out on video on demand. I mean, Doghouse was on video on demand before we screened it. And there are other films, too, that are along those lines. So, you know, it isn't always a deal killer for us to have it late in the game. But also, you know, a lot of times we could help you get more buzz if we were able to screen it at our fest earlier. That's what I think, anyway. I think so, too. That pisses me off, too. Well, dude, why don't we listen to a tune? All right. What are we going to listen to? Why don't we check out a little something from Beefy? Hey, let's do that. Here's a horror-themed tune from his uh, Adventures of Beef Thompson Vampire Hunter EP. This is God Hates Fangs. Just like I like it, remember back in the day They always get a little older, but I stay the same age And I make the same place. spend my days in the coffin We need to get another sheriff, cause this dude isn't rocking But I just met a lady who just took away my breath Maybe she wasn't the first, but I bet that she's the best Don't wanna tell you how I know it, but I know that she's a virgin In no time we went from flirting to some sexless way disturbing Yo, they call the fang banger, it don't bother me none I think they jealous cause these bitches giving me some And yo, her brother is dumb, but he got notches on his belt Everybody can't be lucky, gotta play the cards are dealt And I got dealt from the bottom, watched my brothers expire The 1860s, they were shitty, not a thing to admire So when you tell me that you think that they're the glorious dead Makes me think that you're so lucky that I've already fed My life cannot be the same I don't remember my name Me blood and I don't feel shame Can't die because God hates me my life cannot be the same I don't remember my name Need blood and I don't feel shame I messed around with centerfold and beauty exotic If it's the middle of the night, you got vagina, I'll rock it But if you tap me like a keg, I'll make your world come alive No, I don't hate you, you're in nature and you're feeling sublime But at the same time, your evils will be met By a dude who is so hungry that you're likely to get bit I don't mean to disrespect, but you didn't really think it through I'm a million years old, dick, what you gonna do? I got friends my size and they're ready to ride 
Just like Frank White, man, they're ready to die. I just want to drink. I'm not here for a fight. Change my plans if you really feel like dying tonight. I don't turn into a bat. I don't sparkle in the sunshine. Power of persuasion. I know I can make your girl mine. Glamour, it's a power I don't keep to myself. Got the code, got the cougar, and I got me the milf. And so come on. My life cannot be the same. I don't remember my name. Blood and I don't feel shame. Once you go vamp, you don't ever go back Life is a commercial before fading to black And if you're lucky just to know me, I can make you one of us See, I'm a maker, first I drain you, then you're rising from the dust Shapeshifters and demons all live in the south Reminder who is running shit, look at my mouth Where things and witches, it gets a little spooky Got like five grown men all fighting over some suki Got a message, gotta tell you, it's a little bit blunt Bella's just a bitch, and Buffy's a slut If you wanna press your luck, try to mess with what is mine I got a life's worth of torture if you're crossing the line I got nothing else to live for, I'm already gone You can keep your minions, but give me the blonde I'm bringing it on, what was at your doorstep, bitch? Bribe me, it's embarrassing, I'm old money rich, dick My life cannot be the same I don't remember my name Need blood and I don't feel shame Can't die because God hates me My life cannot be the same. I don't remember my name. Need blood and I don't feel shame. My life cannot be the same. I don't remember my name. Need blood and I don't feel shame. Hi, my name's Andy Diamond. I'm the director of Love Bites, and I love listening to the Boneback Show. In Rainmathon Sea, looking for fun. Girls on holiday will do anything. It's their first time away from home. Nothing's off limits, right? Indoors, outdoors, outdoors. Your fingers in my belly button. Has a price. I've been looking for Bruno. Oh, what's he done? Put you on over him for a week. Been looking for your brother. What are you two benders now then, yeah? No. He went away. I think it was Hampstead. Or was it Hammersmith? Is there a place called Hampstersmith? No. Looks like a dog's bone. Look at those teeth marks. I've hunted werewolves all my life. They kill and eat a virgin. You're one, aren't you? What? This year. Juliana. Juliana, I don't know if you've been told, but tonight is your lucky night because it's my job to give the most attractive woman at the party the time of her life. <laughs> I'll give you a piece of advice, lad. Stay away, my girl. I wanted to ask you if you'd go out with me. Lose your innocence. The hornier you are, the more delicious you are. Oh, just bit my tongue. She's getting worked up, ready to burst, and then... You've got 24 hours to dip your pickle or lose your life. And we're going to have to have sex. You guys? Come and see me, Sue. No. I'm not like ordinary girls. She's the beast, Jamie. She has to be destroyed. Love Bite. 
Spike, what is that? I can't help it, it's the feathers. Once again, Steve from the Bone Bat Show here, and joining me now is the director of Love Bite from the UK, Andy D. Emini. How you doing, sir? I'm very well, thank you. I have to say, we are absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to present the United States premiere of Love Bite. That is just too cool. It's great to get it played over there. Now, tell me a little bit about how Love Bite came to be. I suppose uh, I have a background in a lot of different comedy shows, and I've moved across the dramas and started doing films. I knew it cost films from a couple of other projects, and this particular piece came up, and uh, they thought of me, sent me a script, which I, I liked. I, yeah, I've got teenage kids, and I, anyway, I have a fairly childish sense of view myself. Myself's <laughs> kind of quite funny. So we set off on getting it together to make us a feature. They thankfully met some people with some money yeah. we put that together with the various sort of tax breaks and things here and it's still a low budget film but uh, managed to get enough cash together and uh, uh, set out and made it we ended up making it in Scotland because of a tax break that made it a good place to shoot but it also is a sort of dramatic landscapes and some sort of hard weather and good elements for us mm-hmm. one of the interesting things about the film is it's a teen sex comedy mashed with a werewolf film and then with the werewolf aspect, you also have that mystery of who is the werewolf. So you have a lot of different things to play with in the script as far as making an interesting and unique film. Yeah, I think what appealed, I suppose, it had that sort of teen comedy and sex comedy there, but also this idea of the sort of predatory female, which is a sort of the sort of cool American sexy version that might also be a werewolf and, you know, a really kind of raunchy British woman who might be the werewolf as well. And it was interesting playing with those sort of two predatory ideas mixing with the werewolf. And as soon as you can get a who's done it, you can kind of point that at various people and it becomes quite fun to play with that. I suppose I, what appealed with Love Bite is it set out a kind of clear rules for the film. And I think often werewolf films are a little bit woolly as to what the werewolf is doing. Does it eat the people or just kill them or what, you know? So we're very keen to make this, you know, it was a reason why it killed people, and it ate as much of them as it could. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. And one of the other things that's interesting, because uh, last year I was at the uh, Seattle Crypticon Horror Convention, and Joe Bob Briggs was doing a panel there, and he mentioned that he felt that the teen sex comedy was a genre that was actually ripe for a comeback, that there aren't that many being done nowadays. So this sort of fills a niche that uh, seems to be wide open at the moment. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, it's all timing those things and getting right wave and i think it's what a lot of distributors and broadcasters are looking for is how to catch that younger teen audience mm-hmm. in the cinema or tv you know they're very elusive now so i think comedy can be something that get them you've got to kind of hit their funny bones yeah um, which is often that you know edge of teen comedy that can be quite hard <laughs> you know wrong <laughs> something really work right. so at times you have to you know go for that i think it's a great market if you can get it right some of the people involved in In Between us, uh, a movie here which ran off the back of a TV show. And that hit really well. And it is a sort of pure old teen comedy, but it just rang the right bells with everybody. Everyone knew those characters when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think that Love Bite, we were trying to do the similar thing of getting characters we all kind of knew, different kind of versions of losers and wasters, and give them all a, a, a reason to do something. 
Absolutely. Well, I think you also kind of got lucky with your cast, too. Espaliers is charming in the film. Same with uh, Jessica Zor. So you have the two leads actually are likable, and that makes the kind of romantic aspect of it work. Which, if, you know, the people were too obnoxious, then you wouldn't enjoy spending that time with them so much. Yeah, yeah. I think there's definitely an element of sort of romantic comedy in the middle of that as well. And by spinning that, you know, is she, isn't she a werewolf? And him sort of falling for that and still knowing that she might gives you a lot to play with. And, I, you know, some of those scenes later on where uh, he has to try and lose his virginity and she's she's offering and you don't know whether it's because she's going to kill him or not and he <laughs> right. doesn't either but he's torn uh, a great thing to play with and i think that sort of teenage mentality can uh, click into that idea of that bit of torment in addition to the younger actors though you also have timothy spall who adds just a wonderful gravitas to every scene he's in as you know he's played winston churchill he was peter pettigrew in the harry potter films and uh, just a wonderful actor and so to have him as kind of the werewolf hunter the grizzled veteran who is relating these tales to Jamie, that just works really well. No, he's such a great actor. I'm playing that slightly sort of loser version of the Werewolf Panther where it's just a little bit all under par. It's <laughs> yeah. really nice. I mean, he's such a terrific actor. He's, he's continually kind of playing and experimenting. And uh, I don't know if you see, there's a little nipple twist in there at one point. He was just sort of talking to me, and as he was saying, he sort of did that to me. <laughs> and we sort of put it in and he did it to Jamie as a sort of a freaky bit of torment and fun. <laughs> He's incredibly inventive. I mean, half the time you're trying to contain him, really. But it was such a lovely you know, uh, personality on the film. And I think his character is lovely there. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about the film is that, to your point, that it's very knowing. It kind of understands the genre. And there are a few things that are almost reminiscent of other films. I mean, there are some direct homages. Uh, at one point, Juliana compares Jamie's relationship with his mother to that in Psycho. And uh, I think that the intro, starting at a theme park, in addition to just being a really cool, kinetic, fun thing to look at, also reminds you a little bit of Lost Boys, so it has that vibe to it. I like when a, a horror film sort of nods or winks at its predecessors and knows where it's at. Oh, no doubt. We discussed a lot of those sort of moments in Lost Boys, and uh, so it's kind of nice. When, you, when you're in a genre, I think it's a bit more free-for-all in terms of playing with each other's imagery. There are so many classic shots, and you sort of play with them or you subvert them a little bit and you know the slow-mo four shot walking along is now kind of ironic when you use it and you know there are a lot of little moments you can play with visually off different films so i think it's definitely within a genre and a comedy genre especially but a, a great fun really and i think everyone embraces that oh i agree one of the other things is that Love Bite looks gorgeous. It is a really nice-looking film. In contrast, as programmers of an independent film fest, we see a lot of stuff that isn't all that great. And so to see something like this that is just a beautiful film is really cool to us. Now, the cinematographer, I believe his name was Tat Radcliffe. Is that the, correct? Yeah, yeah. In addition to looking great, also there's kind of some moments where the camera spins and does some unique things, and it makes for just a really wonderful picture to look at. Yeah, I think I suppose when we were thinking about the audience and trying to make this for a teenage audience as well, well, any age, but obviously targeting that audience, we were looking for things that were cool as well, just cool shots, cool moments. And I think 
it was the culture of this film and the storyline through this. So you could throw those in. You've got parties, so you could play around there. You've got, you know, the seaside, so we could incorporate fair rides and Ferris wheels. And that lends itself to, you know, all sorts of time lapse or anything else. And I think you sort of legitimize having little cool moments mm -hmm. that, that might be in a couple of seconds, but really cool to look at and a music track going through and as long as you're not too indulgent on it i think uh, it still works in a film like this i know that there are always challenges when you're making an independent film be it budget or enough time to do everything that you want to do uh, one of the things that i noticed was did you have enough quarters for the dance dance revolution machine <laughs> I think there's one scene where they're dancing and you can tell the machine is off and my wife and I both cracked up. We thought that was great. No. The reality is we couldn't switch off the sound. Oh, so that was it was because of the audio. Oh, I got it. They're virtually bulletproof those machines. Yeah, and you've got the boom then, man there who's picking up everything, right? Yeah, yeah. And then dancing to a track that we've got cleared and they've rehearsed a piece for. Uh-huh. Can't that get that machine to play that track, if you see what I mean. <laughs> Yes, okay. We got permission from the whoever it was, and they're all happy, but we couldn't get the sound off. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I think you always need a couple of floors in a film, really, somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, in any low-budget horror movie, you've got to have that. That's very good, and I'm glad now that we know the story. That's awesome. Cool. All right, Andy. Well, uh, why don't you tell our listeners what you're working on now? What I'm working now, I've just finished a thing called Moonfleet which is an old classic smugglers novel from the 1800s, which went out here just a few weeks ago with Ray Winston. Oh, cool. And then I um, uh, just started on a new project about a zoo starting in 1930s, Northern England. Hmm. A new drama for BBC. Is it true what they say about working with animals and children? Yeah, it's pretty tricky. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, sir. Well, uh, one last question. We always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. Andy, what pisses you off? I suppose I've got to say as a director, losing control. I don't mean going crazy. I mean not being able to do everything you want to do. I would understand that. You've got a vision you're trying to implement. Absolutely. <laughs> I really appreciate your time and uh, you staying up late to speak with us. Thank you again for allowing us to present this film in the U.S. Uh, here in Seattle on April 26th. It's going to be a great time, and I expect Love Bite is going to be a fantastic part of it. Have fun with it, and let me know how it goes. I will do so. Thanks. Do it. Thanks a million. Take care. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Be a select star. I'm trying to unlock your heart from years of walls when Hyrule falls. I'm hoping that the things I do are working to connect with you. I see that you're free with my shop. I'd like for you to know my name. They call me Box 138. I think we are due for a walk. Cause like me, you pull from the middle, skip the books up on the top. So up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Be a select star. I'm trying to unlock your heart from years of walls. When Hyrule falls, I'm hoping that the things I do are working to connect with you. I wish I could know what you dream. And are you flying high without a care? Do people often stop and stare? Cause you're both a girl and a fan. I bet it's hard to join the rest with fanboys staring at your chest. So up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. Be a 
next start I'm trying to unlock your heart for years the walls when Hyrule falls I'm hoping that the things I do are working to connect with you and even though it's improbable it seems that this could go my way or should I take a About while sipping on an Elysian stout until we went back to your place. You said that you could land me in, that's when you stabbed me with a pin. You had daddy issues and were severely unstable. Because you planned to murder me, because you've been stalking me for weeks, and then you shoved me in your house and punched me hard right in the mouth. Warned me that I shouldn't scream, or you got me like Wolverine. This day to turn out kind of sucky. I thought I was getting lucky, and I got off a little bit. Served up as your favorite dish. She's a man eater, I'm toast. Just like the song from Holland, the blue and spotted sensations played on the 60s and every station. I don't know where the song will end, but I don't care because I'm. from the Bone Bad Show, and joining me now on the show, Kyle Stevens from Kirby Crackle. How you doing, man? Good to see you, man. How are you? I am fantastic. We're sitting here, uh, we've been spending some time yes. just planning, making evil scheming, plans scheming. for the fourth <laughs> Comedy of Horrors <laughs> Film Festival, but you've had a very busy year so far. I mean, already you've released uh, two brand new cuts, a Yellow King and Everything is Awesome, which I don't think tonally you could come no. <laughs> up with two different disparate type of tunes. It's pretty schizo. That's why no record <laughs> labels wanted to hire me when I was searching 10 years ago. <laughs> They're like, what are you? It speaks to your range. I though. just like songs, man. Like Absolutely. Songs. Yeah. Both kick-ass songs. So those have been wonderful. And then uh, during Emerald City, of course, you had the fourth Crackle Fest, which was an amazing good time. Thank you. It was really fun. We uh, we had the Double Clicks, Death Star, uh, sponsors of uh, the film festival this year, as well as uh, two burlesque artists from <laughs> Las Vegas, Miss Fever Blister and Eddie Van Glam, who dressed up like a Macho Man Randy Savage. And I, I got to say, there were Slim Jims involved. <laughs> you got to snap into a Slim Jim. Fill right? in the blanks. Absolutely. Yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and what's always fun with Crackle Fest? I mean, your cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. Your cover of Take On Me. You always play a couple of cuts that you did not write at the, at end, the yeah. Crackle Fest, which is always a lot of fun. And this year was no exception. Thanks, man. Yeah, we did um, Flagpole Sitter by Harvey Danger. We did a Pearl Jam song, so that was a personal fantasy of mine. And then, uh, you know, we did Everything is Awesome, and Baby Got Back, actually. So yes, with Shubzilla. Re- yeah, Shubzilla, yeah, she tore it up. That was unexpected, I hope, for people. And Death Star joined you for Thrift Shop. Yeah, they did. They did. That was fun. <laughs> and then they picked me up at the end. That was unexpected, too. <laughs> so to paint the scene, cosplay picks 
Kyle up, and he's screaming Hodor, Hodor, yeah. during North of the Wall. Yeah, he, he was my Hodor. <laughs> that was I fantastic. I hope people got that, yeah. Yes, absolutely, and perfectly in character. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, additionally, you just released an awesome 20-song compilation of the best of Kirby Crackle called Geekiest Hits. Yes, it's called Geekiest Hits Volume 1. It's kind of like the crowdsourced top songs from our, our loyal fans for the past four years, a new song, and we actually recorded four songs from the first stripped-down record to kind of modernize it in our current kind of production style. Giving them that rock and roll vibe. Giving them the rock and roll, and I, I want to do it for a long time, so I'm glad we did it. Now, to that point, I want to ask you a Geekiest Hits lightning round of questions yes, here, if yes, you don't mind. Yes. Okay, you ready? First of all, Ring capacity, a lot of numbers to keep track of. Did you ever wish that you'd round it? I do, and occasionally I mess them up. And when I do, you can tell because my eyes are scattering back and forth in the crowd to see who noticed. <laughs> Sometimes they go up and go down in the same chorus. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of actually songs that you might have uh, trouble with lyrics on, uh, yeah. Marvelous Girls is an older song. You wouldn't think the lyrics would be a problem, but you, you wrestled with that one a little bit at Crackle Fest. Would you attribute this to, A, excitement of hosting the fourth Crackle Fest, B, the lingering shock of seeing burlesque perform to Grandma's house. <laughs> or C, proximity to Death Star, specifically cosplay's lyrical amnesia mutant ability. I, I think I kind of rogued his <laughs> mutant amnesia lyrical ability, uh, and also my adrenaline was thumping. So I had a, <laughs> Mama had to center, and then it was <laughs> I, I hear what you mean. Yeah, cosplay is always great for that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah is, you can is. definitely put it on him. He is. I'll try to blame him on most things, <laughs> most things on him. As you should. A uh, couple of songs here. Uh, up, Up, Down, Down, of course. Uh, you mentioned Guinness and Dusty Cartridge's Long Boxes gets a shout out to IPA. Yeah. Will we ever see a Kirby Crackle brew? Well, the uh, the prototype brewery we're actually putting together has something along those lines, yes. Nice. Yeah, to be announced at a later time. But, yeah, I, I, I have thought about that for a while. I cannot wait to get drunk on your beer, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Great Lakes Avengers, the Marcel Marceau line never fails to crack me up. Where the hell did that come from? Yeah, it's, it's a big WTF of it just <laughs> rhymed, kind of, and it just popped in our heads and we need to finish the song. So there we go. But yeah, every time it's hilarious. Well, it good, just, it good. never gets old. I, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Naked We. Now, uh, you, you mentioned there, perfect score on that expert song. What was your jam back in the rock band slash guitar hero days? None. I suck so bad at all of it. I never was good, ever. And so that's why we decided to put our own songs out on the Rock Band Network, and I was worse at those. So I look at everyone with envy when they do well. So you're kind of glad that that whole fad has gone away. That, yeah. I can't, you know, you don't really see the rhythm game so much anymore. No, but it's also like a demon that haunts me because I was never able to do it. So it doesn't make sense. All right. Uh, north of the Wall, in your opinion, who are Jon Snow's real parents? Uh, Jackie Gleason. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> also, uh, John Snow. I would say it would be uh, Hoder. Hoder. Okay. Yeah. Hoder Snow. I never thought of that. That's a great theory. Yeah. Okay, and finally, uh, take it from me. Yes. Where the hell is it? I call shenanigans. That's definitely in your top five, top ten best tunes. Not on Geekiest Hits. Bullshit, Kyle. You're like the third person to say that to me. <laughs> well, it was supposed to be 15, and then I selfishly wanted to put some songs I wanted on there that other people liked. Yeah. Like, well, it's your album. I get yeah, that. You should do well, that. Well, Take It From Me is something that people are always like, why don't you play that fucking song more? And I'm like, I didn't think people liked it that much, but when I hear 
about it like this, then I'm like, I blew it. Oh, that song rules so hard. Thanks, man. Well, you know what? That's the beauty of iTunes. I can add it as the 21st cut on my personal copy anytime I want. It seems like a gym-centric song. People listen to that song while working in the gym. It's like a kettlebell anthem. I don't know. Oh, I thought you meant Jim Demonakis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not the gymnasium. No, yeah. <laughs> no, the gymnasium. The Russian gymnasium. Russian kettlebell. <laughs> kind of like Ivan Drago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're in between the, the steroids and yes. the uh, Stairmaster. Yes, 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 exactly. So... Yeah, when you, when you see uh, the grunting of people in the gym across the room, just figure they're listening to Take It From Me. <laughs> All right, man. Well, again, uh, thank you so much for agreeing to join us at the Comedy Forest Film Fest. What do you got lined up for that, man? Any ideas what our audience can expect? Uh, well, number one, that's not gas. That's someone releasing a CO2 valve behind us, if anyone can hear that. Uh, so uh, we're going to do like some, uh, some of me. our darker, excuse me, some of our darker songs, uh, some of our weirder songs, and just try to keep the spirit of the festival. And finally, the question we ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show, Kyle, what pisses you off? I'm glad you asked me because my dad and I talked about this for about 15 minutes the other day. It pisses me off when people throw cigarette butts out of their window. Because I have this new fantasy where I get out of my car, I walk up, I say in my best 80s action voice, I think you dropped something. I throw it back in their car and walk away slowly with the camera facing me while their car explodes. explodes. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. that's classic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice. And I hate it. Oh, even worse if you're on the freeway throws out the cigarette button and bounces off the hood of your car. There's nothing that incenses me more. No, and that's the same kind of people, too, that have tint on their windows and put their Dre beats on while they're driving in their car. <laughs> it's just unawareness to the max. What pisses you off this week, Steve? What pisses me off? That's a good question. Finding parking, man. That was kind of a pain in the ass. I had to sit over there for 10 minutes no. waiting for a spot to open. No, no. Yeah, let's burn this place down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show, and we look forward to seeing you on April 26th. We'll see you then. Thank you. All right, once again, that was Kyle from Kirby Crackle. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, man. Thanks, man. So, dude. Dude. I know you don't have necessarily a political rant this episode, but uh, I thought you might have something to say about uh, some recent events in California. I do. You know, there's not many times when I get to feel vindicated. You know, sometimes you get one of these family value senator that gets busted for blowing truckers at a <laughs> highway rest stop. Or you, you might get some pro-business, pro-jobs guy that it turns out he's offshoring all his labor. Recently, though, it absolutely took the cake for me. One of my least favorite politicians, California State Senator Leland Yee, who has been a shrill voice attempting to criminalize violent video games was just busted for allegedly mind you a wide variety of charges including corruption money laundering and attempted uh, smuggling of illegal weapons into the united states of america a man who was so vocal about protecting us from virtual guns while at the same time working to bring in actual guns so worried about the effects of pretend violence on our children, while at the same time bringing those very real tools of violence onto our shores. He's also a, uh, a pro-gun control, you know, anti-gun guy as well. So, hey, <laughs> way to go, Leland. Anti-gun and he's actually bringing guns into the country? That's hilarious. Isn't it amazing? Actually hooked up with a guy called Shrimp Boy, who's the leader of the San Francisco Tong. Oh, man. 
full-on international criminal mafia thing going on. And wasn't he trying to shut down your video games? That's what I led with. He was campaigning for the criminalization of violent video games. He wanted to make those violent video games a crime to sell to someone that might be a kid or possessed by a kid or play by a kid. God, God, think of the children. Well, he didn't want anybody cutting in on his action. I guess not. Because you know, a couple of Call of Duty games, you could buy yourself a deuce deuce. You could. (laughs) You could drop a deuce deuce in prison, Leland. (laughs) Yeah, and that's my non-political rant. Love it. Wow. Yeah, there's been a lot of weird shit going on this week, man. Oh, God, yeah. In China, the guy, he, uh, he had to have surgery to remove... You know those long, skinny, like plastic, the thin plastic jump ropes kids have? Yeah, yeah he sure. had one of those inserted into his uh, urethra <laughs> and was not able to pull it out. He got like almost the whole rope up in there, but there was some knots in it. In his, I, It blows them up. How does, clearly it wasn't knotted going in. <laughs> that guy's got a talented bladder. He's got a bendy urethra. Well, dude, as somebody who has had to, like, replace the drawstring in a hoodie, <laughs> that is a pain in the ass. How did he get it up there to begin with? I mean, you know, when it's with a hoodie, you sometimes you have to, like, borrow your wife's knitting needle or something to kind of guide <laughs> it through there. I mean, were other devices involved, or how does that work? I don't know. I think really the bigger question is why? Why? <laughs> well, it was some sort of a sexual thing, clearly, right? <laughs> He really? It would feel really? Good. But yeah, he made a he made a serious either that or somebody told him to piss up a rope. That's probably what it was. He heard that song. <laughs> Jeff, piss up a rope. It's a fucking road and piss up a rope. <laughs> you know, the thing is, he also made a mistake. He should have instead of using a jump rope, he should have used like one of those ski ropes because then there's a, a T bar handle at the bottom. <laughs> Just give, or you know, a uh, chainsaw rope pull. <laughs> That's a, so you kind of pull start your penis. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, it's, it's funny. Kickstarting it. Speaking of weird stuff uh, in urethras and whatnot, <laughs> <laughs> or uteruses yep, yep. in this case, I, I found this article that I meant to talk about on the show a long time ago, and I, I never got around to it. But uh, it's from io9.com in uh, October of 2012. It is now possible to receive text messages from a cow's vagina. The problem, producing milk is stressful. So stressful, in fact, that it can make outward signs that a cow is in heat, all but impossible to spot. The solution, vaginal text messages. Thanks to some handy new heat-sensing tech, cows are now capable of broadcasting SMS messages with their genitals to alert farmers that they are sexually active and receptive to insemination, artificial or otherwise. The future is now, people. Wow. That actually makes a lot more sense than the jump rope thing, though. <laughs> does it? it well, does. if you've got a text saying that, you know, your rope is knotted, maybe... Uh... <laughs> the problem is all those texts, all they do is say move. <laughs> How much per character do you have to pay for a cow vagina text? I'm curious. I don't know. And what phone do they use for that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the sensor implanted in the genitals of Fiona Urbella, favorite names for Swiss cows, measures body heat and transmits the result to a sensor fixed to the cow's neck that measures body motion. The results are combined using algorithms, and if the cow is in heat, a message is sent to the farmer. 
The detector on the cow's neck is equipped with a SIM card so the farmer can pay for the calls. Because <laughs> cows are fucking deadbeats. Everybody knows this, right? Oh, they always call you cowlect. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. You know, I heard another cow thing in the news today. What's that? It was a an airplane, like a 747 or something, full of cattle and... There was so much heat being given off by these cattle that it set off the heat sensors and the fire alarms in the plane, and they had to do an emergency landing because they thought the plane was on fire, but it was just a bunch of hot cows. (laughs) Now, you see, if only they had been set up for texting. That's right. They could have gone, oh, nope, nope, they're just ovulating. The cows are hot. Well, it'll be fine when we get to Cleveland. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I picked Cleveland. Why do I feel like our Welsh listener is all over this technology already? Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll have to find out. Stuart, if you know anything about this. Do they have this for sheep? Do they? Yes. Europe and UK are always so far ahead of us when it comes to cellular technology. that There's probably like the tiniest, sleekest cell phones ever. <laughs> yeah. It, Orange puts one out. It's <laughs> ancient news at well, this dude, point. Let's listen to another tune. What do you say? Let's do it. Since uh, Game of Thrones is back on HBO, why don't we listen to a tune from Kirby Crackle? This is North of the Wall.
This is John R. Dilworth, the creator of the Dirty Birdie, and you're listening to the Bone Bat Show. All right, we are back, and joining me now on the show is John R. Dilworth, the creator of Stretch Films and the director of our official selection this year, Dirty Birdie. How you doing, man? I'm well, I'm well. Uh, all my joints are working, and uh, it's a tribute to lubrication. <laughs> Lubrication's very important, and that's a good way to start the day, man. Yes, indeed. Oh. And in fact, uh, I just come back from my doctor, uh-huh. and... He gave me good news and bad news. The bad news was I have six months to live. Oh, and then no. when I told him I couldn't pay his, his bill, he gave me another six months. <laughs> that was the good news. That, that is good news. It's good that you can work out a life installment plan. So that's kind of happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Over time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I wanted to thank you so much for allowing Dirty Birdie to be a part of our festival this year. Uh, as I mentioned to you, Gordon and I were big fans of Spike and Mike's Twisted Animation Festival back in the yeah, day. Yeah, great program. And it was during that time that we saw a lot of these formative shorts, which some of them we've been able to bring back for the Comedy of Horrors Film Festival. Uh, our first year we showed Lupo the Butcher from Marv Newland and Danny Antonucci. We That's also awesome. showed... Bill Plimpton's uh, Santa the Fascist Year. So we always yeah. love giving a shout-out. And Dirty Birdie Hit was always one of those shorts that we remembered as being so fantastic and memorable from those early late-night screenings. Late night, baby. That's the best time to see anything. <laughs> Absolutely. So can you kind of give us an oral history of Dirty Birdie? How did you come to make that film? Ah, well, you know, it was a great time, those 90s. The 90s was just a fantastic period for animation. So, sort of like a, I don't know, resurgence in a way. You know, we were coming from a kind of dry spell, and networks were beginning to gear up original content, creator-driven material product. And at that time, you know, you had people like John Kay creating Ren and Stimpy. Absolutely. Big fan of that one and as well. Yeah, that's such a... I love that show admired John Kay as well. And I was in New York making my own work, uh, short films, and working for the studios on their TV series. Mm -hmm. And um, there was an issue at the time that negative repeatable behavior syndrome. For instance, Mike Judge had Beavis and Butthead, uh -huh. and there was stories going around about imitatable behavior. Kids picking up cats and spinning them around, <laughs> lighting small puppies on fire. I mean, things like this. Absolutely, uh, yeah. And they were blaming animation. Huh? Yeah. And I was thinking, well, is there a way to show maladaptive behavior that's imitatable but has heart? Okay. And I started to just sit down and draw straight ahead. Straight ahead animation. I mean, just drew the cat and found a bird, and in the back of my mind, thinking about these themes and these concepts and this anarchy, and being young, 20 years younger, it just sort of coalesced into the dirty birdie. And then I realized through the process of making art, animation art, that my own life was coming through, and relationships that I was having difficulty with, or even these obsessive compulsive behaviors of mine were coming through 
in the animation. And the two met in a sort of satisfactory way. <laughs> and it's funny because, um, you know, when the Dirty Birdie was completed, I pitched that around. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's very expensive to make short films, as we all know. And uh, no networks would touch it because, I mean, one reason is that how many kids would start taking their pants down to show their parents <laughs> that their affection. You know, they couldn't risk that. <laughs> no, you could not. I have a question about that, actually. Did you find it hard when you're painting a bird's ass like 135 times to just stop laughing? I mean, it's such no, a no. hilarious image, <laughs> and you had to paint no, it, it wasn't funny. over and over it wasn't and over. Funny. It really wasn't funny at the time when we're drawing it. It was about timing. Right, okay. So the, the timing is what adds. That the impact, that that's where it gets behavior. hilarious. Okay. Isn't it odd? Yeah, that is. Have you tried it? I have not. Ha <laughs> ha! Wait, you mean showing my ass to someone or animating? <laughs> no, showing your ass to somebody. A loved one only, Steve. <laughs> it's been a while, you know, since I pressed one against the car window or anything like that. <laughs> set in setting, set in setting. As, as you said, you know, 20 years ago. <laughs> and this year happens to be the 20th anniversary of the Dirty Birdie. And I intend to uh, release an extended version of the work with one minute of never-seen-before footage. Oh, that footage is beautiful. Footage that I had produced, but cut out, feeling it was maybe unnecessary. But it's a vital origin flashback of where Dirty When Dirty Birdie, how Dirty Birdie learns to express his love. <laughs> so expect that sometime this year. That's fantastic. I can't wait to see that. I know me neither, me neither, either neither, tomato, tomato. And then on top of that, Steve, it gets even better. I have written the sequel, a Dirty Birdie sequel. Oh, man. Much more elaborate, with a live-action dancing girl. <laughs> and it's called A Night at Club Shake. And Dirty Birdie takes Fergarina, takes her out for a dance at a club, and things just go bananas. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So I intend to do something quite bold and scary. I'm considering now a crowdfunding initiative to fund a night at Club Shake, the Dirty Birdie sequel. Well, if you do that, you let us know because we'll help get the word out. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. This would be fantastic. It's so funny. I've been borrowing a lot from the masters from the Golden Age, Tex Avery especially. Mm Mm-hmm. And his nights of wolves and red riding hoods and mm-hmm. dancing girls. And I'm doing my dirty birdie take on that. Oh, that sounds great. One of the things I found interesting about Dirty Birdie, even back in 1993, which was early in your career, I think that you had a lot of the things that I would consider Dilworth trademarks already in evidence. Things like, in character design, the mismatched eyes. Or the gaping mouths with the snaggly teeth that are, like, very distinctive. And then you also had, like, the snap changes in expression from mild to extreme in just the drop of a hat. Or even the mixed mediums where you would take, like, I believe that that's watercolor background, right, in Dirty Birdie? And then the painted... It's a mixed media background, yeah. And then the painted animation, but then you'll drop in, like, live video or a photo of you as a reaction shot and so there, there really wasn't a lot of rules you could play with anything in the media 
Yes, yes, it was wonderful. You know, I, I still to this day get uh, reactions from audiences claiming that's John Turturro in the movie. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm beginning to not deny, you know, to say, yeah, yeah, John was in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I love mixed media. Yeah. I always have. And it's always about finding the right and complementary balance. You know, that's the thing. It's the touch. But that was the 90s, too. You know, it's just a, a glorious decade. My co-host was commenting, we were discussing Dirty Birdie, and he was commenting on how he felt that it was the perfect unconventional love story. Because they have this thing, Purdy and Figurino, where they're going back and forth, and somehow it works. And it probably wouldn't work for anyone else, but it works. And, and you sort of have a recurring theme in your work going forward, too, of that kind of love-can-be-painful aspect. Love can be painful, exactly. But then you find this moment, right, in, in relationships where an equilibrium is discovered. Mm -hmm. But it's so fragile, some common denominator of attraction, and yet it's so delicate, so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens with Dirty Birdie and Fergarina. They find that they're both monsters. <laughs> you know, but then Dirty Birdie has to, well, he can't help himself, that impulsive need to challenge, to test, to see how far he can, he goes before he gets attention or affection. Right. It's an interesting uh yeah, I don't think anyone's ever done analysis on this picture. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for, John. <laughs> oh, this is it? This is the session? <laughs> you didn't tell me what the rate was. <laughs> now, can you write prescriptions? <laughs> I cannot, unfortunately. Dr. Bonehand cannot do that. Dr. Bonehand. <laughs> so, now, how did Spike and Mike come across your short to add it to the Sick and Twisted Festival? Well, they were purveyors of this kind of material. I mean, they had their antenna up, so it must have been their frequencies. It just in, just got in their frequency. I can't recall exactly, uh, but it was a pleasure, really. And it was also a pleasure to be included in their... They had a book out uh, at some point, The Best of Sick and Twisted or Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation. Do you remember that book? I don't remember the book. Uh, I do remember the DVDs which came out. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, the DVDs, yeah. But I was in both, really. It was a crossover. It, uh, I was able to get in both. Oh, the classic series as well? Times. Yeah. One of the things, actually, when I was studying about Dirty Birdie that I didn't put together was that you were also the creator of Courage the Cowardly Dog, which was just amazing. That You know, a show that I was well aware of. It had been on Cartoon Network, I think, for four years, 52 episodes. And uh, you also created that cottage franchise really yeah yeah and virtually cowardly dog developed from a short film that i was uh, producing after the dirty birdie mm -hmm. it was called the chicken from out of space and at the time it was going to be a black and white science fiction film uh -huh. and um i had already wrote the story and the storyboard made the storyboard and um i started to pitch that and since no network was going to pick up the dirty birdie I sold them the chicken from out of space, mm -hmm. and that was back in, I guess, 95. Anyway, Hanna-Barbera picked it up with Fred Seibert. He was also doing a great program of what a cartoon, uh -huh. I and that. Uh, it was part of that. And then, of course, it went on to get nominated 
and uh, in 1999 we started production on this series and mostly to the visionaries of Linda Saninsky and Mike Lazo over at Cartoon Network and uh, Betty Cohen, of course. But Courage continues to air around the world today. It's 14 years later. I know I get the royalties, you know, the, the reports at least. There's not much. I just got a royalty check for $3.32. So you can imagine I could buy a gallon of distilled water. There you go. Thanks yeah, I but it's wonderful. It's really fun. And then just recently, Turner International commissioned a special seven-minute CGI short, the first ever. I mean, we did experiment with mixed media during the series. Uh -huh. There are a couple of episodes that did have CG in the Courage episodes. But this is the first fully animated CG Courage called The Fog of Courage. And we are awaiting the network's uh, intentions with this. So we hope they order a series off this in CG. It'll be difficult and different, but mm -hmm. I think it's still lovely to look at. Well, and still yeah. all the same Dilworthian material will be there. <laughs> that would be fantastic if it came to fruition. Because one of the, my favorite thank things you, thank you. about Courage was always that it gave you an excuse to come up with the craziest, most cool monsters. I love monsters. <laughs> I love horror. I really think it comes from the fact that maybe my mom was a witch. Really? Really, the first time I saw her turn my brother into a squirrel, <laughs> I thought, oh, that was a fun magic trick. <laughs> well, then when she boiled him, I, I knew right away there was something wrong. Of course, it was a very tasty meal, but there was something wrong there. Horror was yeah. part of my life from, I guess, birth, really. That's some true old school witchcraft right there. Yeah, yeah, very. Old and, world, and, and yeah. of course, my mom looked cute as a button, you know, so it was very easy to be seduced by her. Right, you, you got to forgive, right? Well, you know. <laughs> so let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of your other later works. Uh, 2001, you did The Mousekist, which, again, another example of why do the things we love hurt us. This mouse is spending a great time trying to get close to the cheese, but maybe not too close. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Why do we pursue the things we instinctively maybe? <laughs> no, it's, they're wrong for us. It's just another theme that has no answer, really. Yeah. We will do what we do, right? Yes. I just feel like in this case, the mouse just did get what he wants, just not the way he expected it. <laughs> That's true. Well, and there's also maybe a similar theme in 2005's Life in Transition, which uh, amazing painted artwork. It is just a gorgeous short. I suggest everybody take a look at it at stretchfilms.com. But one question I had for you was, was it influenced at all by Gerald Scarf's animation in The Wall? That man and woman consuming each other sort of aspect was very reminiscent of that for me. Wow, that's a wonderful reference. Uh, of course, I was a fan of that animation from that feature film, but no, I wasn't conscious of it at the time. For me, it was stream of consciousness, straight-ahead animation, and I owe a lot to Dali. Oh, of course. Of course, to Dali and to uh, my background painter, Andrew Kovalt, who spent uh, the good portion of three years painting that. But of course, not only can you see those films at stretchfilms.com, but you can also see them at, on Stretch Films' our YouTube channel. 
Oh, fantastic. So they're there and some other things there as well. But that film is uh, special because um, there again, there was a, a nexus of events, of horrors. The buildings at World Trade Center had come down. Oh, wow, yes. We were quite a trauma at the time. And some other creative things were going on. I mean, we were blowing up courage with full steam ahead. It was getting kind of burnt out, and art stepped in again. I can't express how deeply I feel the power of art, even for a therapeutic exercise, Mm -hmm. just to make something beautiful during crises. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And of course, to the great fans and appreciators of art, without them, we'd just be doing it in the dark caves like our Neolithic ancestors. Yeah, you have to have that back and forth between the audience and that feeling being transmitted, I think, back to the creator as well, which is what we try to do with our podcast and our film festival, you know, in supporting independent creators of all types of art. I applaud you. I applaud the program. It's wonderful. Now, uh, one last short I wanted to talk about a little bit was 2009's Rinky Dink, which for the first time, I think, in your work that I had seen, a little claymation was in there. Again, you continued the mixed media and even broadened that palette even further from what I had seen from you previous. But it still has, at its heart, that sort of unconventional love story, which makes it feel like such a quintessential stretch film. Thank you, thank you. At the time, um, I've been spending a lot of time in Spain, in Barcelona. Mm. And uh, in Spain, there's a tremendous culture of stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. And so I just plugged into that. And I teamed up with Lula Cartoons, who was in Barcelona. Now I believe she's in South America. Yeah, I loved her stop-motion. It was great to work with it. Also, again, the extension of the mixed media. And then... I even went further with the next short film in the experimental way with bunny bashing and I used live actors and that was how oh boy did I have so much fun with that <laughs> I mean I removed the arms of my actors and replaced them with stop motion arms and then even experimented with pieces of their own body distorting them so that they're real but not real I don't know. I don't know. The the films, the short films, for me, these experimental ones are not getting the kind of reaction I was expecting or hoping. But uh, for me, they were wonderful exercises. Mm -hmm. And during the making of short films, I often discover secret reasons why I needed to make them films. Mm -hmm. And in Bunny Bashing, I have two Martian puppets that speak their own language. And my co-producer, William Hohauser, and I... We're putting this thing together, and it was two days of laughing, <laughs> laughing at these Martians making retarded sounds as <laughs> communication. I mean, the kind that I thought I was getting asthma attacks, or I was going to rupture some tract of my intestines. And then after the film was done, I felt so satisfied that I had this moment mm-hmm. with another human being where we, we laughed in private, just the two of us and witnessed our own tears from the laughter. (laughs) And I don't know, I mean, last night I had just seen Jim Jarmusch's new movie, Only Two Lovers Remain. Forgive me, the title may not be accurate, but in the film, Jim writes about the sort of aspirations of living, you know, surviving things, cultivating friendships. And I was thinking about this moment with William Hohauser and laughing, and that's a moment. I'll never forget that. That's, again, that's art. 
power of art. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Last night when we were recording uh, another section of this very episode, my co-host and I, we were doing some lines for the promo for the film festival, and we just fell into a laughing fit where, like, we couldn't even speak for two minutes because we were laughing so hard. <laughs> and I, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, that power of laughter is so wonderful. That's it. That's and it. so transformative that it, it really yeah. makes for an amazing experience. And that's why you do artistic things like this, because it's so satisfying, an addition to your life. Yeah, now I'm thinking, I also I do not want to be too self-absorbed and make films that pleasure myself, because it's really not what I want. I want to make others laugh, right. but somehow this connection is not always the easiest to make. And it's not my intention also to make something that's so superficial that it's so accessible to everybody. I mean, this is the real problem, finding that chord to connect. And I guess and deep down in the basement of all of my work, it's about love and compassion and just, you know, being human, I guess. <laughs> but this is all art, right? Who can't claim that for their, their motivations? Sure, they can at least aspire to that. And laughter, man, and laughter. <laughs> Somehow to find laughter. All right, man. Well, one last question we always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. John, what pisses you off? Well, I can't say I'm really pissed off, but it's disappointing that we as individuals do not have our own personal dirigibles <laughs> to get around this wonderful <laughs> earth. You know, in any super-sized way, design, airships, Bring back the airships. I've complained about this before. Now, it's 2014. Weren't we promised air cars by now? Well, air cars. Or jet know. You jet can packs. call them whatever you want. Jet packs at the I very mean, least. lighter than airships. Beautiful <laughs> things that float, that cause no harm. Just like a leaf that get us there to carry great loads. To see the world really at a human level, at a human pace. I love it. <laughs> we got to make that happen, man. There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. I mean, the material doesn't even explode now. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for joining us on the podcast and for allowing us to screen Dirty Birdie here in Seattle. It really means a lot. And again, thank you for making such a wonderful film that was so influential to my co-host and myself. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It's such a deep honor it really to be included and to be thought of. And it's a tribute to artists that you and your co-host are putting this program on for the rest of us. So thank you. Oh, the pleasure's ours, sir. The pleasure's ours. The Bone Bat Show is back. Thank you once again to John R. Dilworth, the creator of Dirty Birdie, for the awesome interview. Again, you can see that film at the Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. And joining me now, not Gordon. No, screw that guy. Beefy, our headliner for this year's Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. How you doing, man? It's a big pleasure to be on your show, as always, Steve. And I'm thinking of changing my name from Beefy to just not Gordon. <laughs> you could go with that. Because I feel like that just speaks higher volumes. It's like, at least it's not that guy, right? I'm doing a ton of interviews this show without Gord, man. That guy's got to <laughs> step up. I don't know. I think I pushed him too hard on, like, doing the T-shirt art and stuff for the Film Fest. And he just, just, he had to tap out. It's just too much. I just, there's a lot of stress and it's supposed to be a festival for fun and, exactly. and for horror, but mostly so, for fun. That damn Steve sucked all the fun out of it. 
Turn this into a job. I already have a job. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you could join us on the show. And again, super excited to have you at the film festival. Now, what do you got in store for this great big amalgam of entertainment i have a good chunk of entertainment to share with my friends who just want to have some fun with some nerd raps and uh you know i got some tracks that i've done before that have a kind of a horror slant to them be it about vampires or overcoming i feel chun li is pretty terrifying sometimes so you never know <laughs> it is when my son plays her against me exactly i mean anyone who's doing a spinning bird kick to your face a hundred times that's gonna it's, it's gonna cause some nightmares and leave some scars emotionally it's terrifying i gotta say but uh we're also going to be doing a uh, a brand new track i'm doing just for the fest like specifically for you and your fans and everyone who's coming out to the film fest and uh you know anyone who's just digs horror or as my song is going to talk about how maybe you just can't stomach horror often. <laughs> so you're not a fan, man. You don't watch the hardcore gruesome stuff? I don't. I mean, I remember my first experience of not being able to handle a movie when my dad took me out in the Tri-Cities. We used to have a drive-in the drive-in theater. I almost said drive-through theater, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> we had a drive-in theater, and they were playing the double feature of The Fugitive, which I'd never seen, and Jurassic Park. Okay. And the commercials made me think I could totally handle this. And then it turned out I could not handle it, and I was very scared and sad, and my father was not happy with me having to take me home in the middle of Jurassic Park. I understand, man, because Tommy Lee Jones is terrible. Oh, you're talking about Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never understood the one-armed man. Is it's, yeah. I, I never understood that. Hard, there was references in the mask. I just never got. I just hard, never got. Yeah, hard target search of every outhouse, doghouse, and I don't even know what that means, man. And again, even that, I know better from the reference from Jane Silent Bob Strike Back than I do from Fugitive. So that night was sullied for me, and then I, I could never see Spielberg the same again either. Well, I think you're going to dig this fest because there's plenty of laughs to go along with the scares. It keeps it light. Yeah, I can deal with a lot more scare, a lot less disembowelment. And that's yeah. or or disembowelment done in a humorous way. Yes, yeah. well, <laughs> I, that I think we can deliver. That I'm hoping for. That's what uh, I'm coming to expect. And I don't plan on being disappointed is all I'm saying. Good, good, good. And one other thing I think you're going to dig about the Film Fest is the, the way the participation that we have gotten. You know, I think that the Kickstarter has brought it even tighter. But, like, uh -huh. one of our fans is in Germany. Uh, Ben's a longtime listener to the show. Can't make it. Obviously, the film festival all the way to Seattle, but he right. sent a copy of Red Dead Redemption and two different zombie movies for us to give away during the oh, festival. That's awesome. so how cool is that? That's super awesome. We had another guy, uh, Vaughn in New Jersey. He actually purchased an enormous package. Again, can't make it to the fest. We're going to give it away as part of the prize wow. giveaway. So it's really neat how all these people are coming together to just make an awesome event. And you're part of that, man. So, again, thank you so much for it's, agreeing it's to be a pleasure. part of this year's festival. I'm a hindrance, if anything. I really appreciate <laughs> being able to do this. It's going to be so much fun. Looking forward to it, man. Hell yeah, dude. Me too, man. All right, man. Now, before we kick into this cut, uh, why don't you give me a little bit of uh, what pisses Beefy off? The question we always ask about this time. You know, what really pisses me off is that I start a new Netflix profile just so I can get films that I like, things that I enjoy, not just my entire family. So I set that up. The kiddo plays one video, one Nickelodeon, one, I think, Adventure Time or or some kid's thing, and then all of a sudden, hey, you watched Paranorman, you'll like this thing, and you'll love this guy now. Now it thinks that I'm an eight-year-old child, and that pisses me off, Netflix. Dude, 
Welcome to being a dad, man. My Amazon Prime is screwed up. My Netflix oh. queue is screwed up. I'm being barraged 24-7 with kids' things. It's, Amazon, it's brutal. Just Amazon.com thinks I just like Door the Explorer and jewelry because I bought <laughs> Shandra a, a necklace one time. Yeah, the, the algorithms are all screwed up for me, too. So I, I feel your pain, buddy. But that pisses me off. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about this tune now. I remember that you had put out the announcement, the proclamation, that if we made our Kickstarter goal, you were going to bust this brand new tune. I was, and then I got super not making music. And then I was like, (laughs) never mind, let's make lots of good music again. Kickstarter was a success. And so uh, I am a man of my word eventually. So I am (laughs) going to, uh, we got a song. It's using a sample off of a Resident Evil, one of their tracks from the game. And uh, it's mostly about, how I can't really handle my horror and I gotta cover my eyes sometimes just because the imagery is too intense for me and I have a very vivid imagination and sometimes it runs away with the intense graphics and the intense horror. Fantastic. Well, let's check it out. Another Bone Bat Show first for this episode. The world premiere of Cover My Eyes. It all started way back in the day Just like most things, but slightly creepy Watch my dad, watch the wall Dude shaved his brows, hammer sickle marching down And I didn't see how, but those images are stuck with me Fill me full with dread None of this is real as all my parents ever said But you try telling that to someone who ain't understanding context One fish, two fish, making up my school text Didn't watch Willow Bowie, really left a mark Had to go home early, couldn't hang Jurassic Park So needless to say, I wasn't keeping up with Elm Street Even little Grimace was too much for baby beefy Imagination only turned him into nightmares Square with the crop tears, urine in my underwear Sleepover troll, hellraiser and I will roll Just pass the night if you plan on watching Psycho Pretty ladies meeting their demise Survivor stocking up on supplies Young priest, old priest, all into exercise I just cover my eyes Loud noise and a quick surprise The killer is in a disguise just do what the song implies come on, come on. Just cover those eyes You think you're hard because you're rolling with some rappers You after saw, I saw some gangsters rocking pampers Blood and guts and pickup trucks And headed for the pyre And fresh human flesh is all that they desire And they keep on showing us zombies like it's an outbreak Zombies at your day job, zombies at your smoke break Zombies at the funeral, zombies is at the christening They moan and bite and shuffle in, but nobody is listening I never went to summer camp or swam in open waters God forbid you go to both to see a Jawsy Mike Michael Myers and the murderer is in the group and all of them are liars. All our cars are breaking down and don't believe in extra tires. Subverse the genre just to find another genre as you play another finger. Drop the body in some lava. Family or comedy you know I got the goods to see me run and scream in panic from the cabin in the woods. Pretty ladies meeting their demise. Survivors stocking up on supplies. Young priest, old priest, all into exercise. I just cover my eyes. Loud noise and a quick surprise. The killer is in a disguise Just do what the song implies Just cover those eyes This says Shaun of the Dead make you grin 
You just have to let the right one in. Feel that sliver right across your lip. Thirteen ghosts dead, ghosts on the ship. Conjure up the devil and drag me to hell. Hell boy, fight and take her in the hell in the cell. My friends got a thing for screaming. The ring went to Antichrist. Watch the whole damn thing. Oh, no. Pretty ladies meeting their demise. No. Survivors stocking up all supplies. Young priest, old priest, stalking to exercise. Oh my god, I just cover my eyes. Loud noise and a quick surprise. The killer is in a disguise. What? Just do what the song implies. Come on, please. Just cover those eyes. Pretty ladies meeting their demise. Survivor stocking up on supplies. A young priest, old priest, starting to exercise. I just cover my eyes. Loud noise and a quick surprise. The killer is in a disguise. Just do what the song implies. Come on, come on. Just cover those eyes. This is Dr. Beef E. Thompson, Esquire, renegade cowboy poet, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. So, dude, yeah. how about a little multimedia triage, man? All right. Have you been digging some stuffs? Yeah, I've been digging some stuffs. I uh, I watched True Detective. Yes, I watched True Detective. Did you finish the series? I finished the series. I have, you know, that week of free HBO, so I've used it. I watched the Game of Thrones, a new season episode one. Uh-huh. I watched the True Detective. Man, that was good. Everyone kept saying, oh, True Detective, it's really good. Yeah, they're right. It's really good. I and know. It, isn't it. it like, yeah, when you when you hear about a show like that and the hype is so strong. I mean, I really like both McConaughey and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, so, same here. You know, as, as actors. As friends. Oh, sorry. <laughs> as actors, I thought it was pretty cool that they were going to be in a show together. And I kind of like murdery police procedurals in general. So this sort of fell in my wheelhouse. And I gotta admit, I'm a frugal nerd, man. I was waiting for it to come on, because uh, we usually get HBO when Game of Thrones is on, and then we get rid of it after the series. I think we talked about that before. Yeah, and I so think I'm gonna have to do that. I was waiting until that came on, and then uh, I was gonna catch up on True Detective, and then they had that watchathon week, and so I was able to watch it ahead of time. And Julie and I voraciously devoured it in like four nights. What a really good show. I mean, great writing as far as dialogue and acting in a show there aren't too many shows where i will rewind a scene just to watch the acting again in it deadwood used to do that uh, justified definitely one of the few shows right now and this show really good stuff uh, again starts with like a, a serial killer murder type of a thing and then moves on from there in a whodunit fashion over eight episodes I thought it was wonderful. How about that long, unbroken shot at the end of the episode where they they went and raided the drug house? Yeah, it was like a six-minute shot. Good Lord. You knew the, the director hand. towards the end was like, nobody screw up. <laughs> yeah, I wonder like what take of that they ended up using. Was it take three or take 20? Who knows? Yeah. But just the logistics of six minutes of filming is amazing. An action sequence. <laughs> And it was weird because so much of the show is like languorous and slow and uh, methodical. And then in the middle of the series, you have this amazing action scene that sort of cracks the series in half. Yeah. The construction of it was really interesting. Yeah, just amazing stuff. Okay, so the very last episode. Yes. When they go into that house. Yes. And there is just shit everywhere. There's writing on every surface of every wall. All the shelves are full and there's piles of stuff in front of the shelves. You can't even get to the shelves and the floor is covered with stuff and there's stuff hanging from the ceiling. I'm, didn't you think that would make a good t-shirt? 
<laughs> I knew it. I goddamn knew it that this was going to be a shot at me. I just heard you winding up. And I heard you winding up. And I Here just he comes. Knew he's going to take a fucking shot. Fuck you, Gordon. Thank you. I will say this, that there aren't a lot of series that kind of pay off in a satisfying way. And I felt like this did. So, yeah, definitely would recommend it. to Everybody check it out. If you like the stuff that we talk about on the show, I think you'd enjoy it. Yeah. And speaking of things happening down on the Delta, I read a book by an author I've not read before. It was called Nowhere Nice okay. by Rick Gavin. Have you read, ever read this guy? No, i never heard of him. He was billed to me as the Carl Hyacin of the Mississippi Delta, which made me interested because I like Carl Hyacin. But uh, in retrospect, the Carl Hyacin of the Mississippi Delta is a bit like being the second smartest guy in Wairika High School. It's <laughs> really not saying very much. And it was a stupid book, and you should never read this stuff. <laughs> the book is essentially this guy busts out of prison, and he wants to do wrong to the people that put him there. And so it's the main character driving around, getting the old gang back together, and they make all these stops along the road and get in fights. And then at the end, they go and confront the guy, and, and that's that. It is funny. There are funny parts. And it's, it's kind of well-written. It would be a really amusing short story, but good Lord, man. Rick Gavin, <laughs> you're no Carl Hyacinth. <laughs> hey, I had to read uh, Elmore Leonard just to get the taste out of my mouth. Hey, before we move on, quick question. Weren't you actually the second smartest guy where we got his That's why I said that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so Elmore Leonard. I read uh, Elmore Leonard's latest, which is really just a collection of his short stories. It's called Fire in the Hole. That's not even his latest. That was a long time ago, dude. Oh, is it? was it a long time ago? Or, or it, maybe just, they re-released it with a new cover for the new season of Justified. You know, that's probably what it was because it has a story that is one of the whole episodes of Justified in it. It's actually the first episode of Justified. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. And it also has some reruns from other things. Like it's got the Tonto Woman, which was a, a Western he wrote, which was in the compilation of Western stuff. It's got the first Karen Sisko short story in it. I was a little disappointed in all the reruns that are in there. But Elmore Leonard, man, for a guy who's written that much, I shouldn't be reading reruns. Dude, I looked this up before the show. Do you know, you know, he's been writing since, what, the 50s? He has written, if you count his his novels, his short stories, the things he did for magazines, his TV episodes, and his screenplays, he's written 86 assloads of prose. <laughs> well, and he, like, started in the pulp days, I think. That, that was where he was banging out Western stuff, like, one after the other really fast in his early years. Yeah, he was getting like paid by the word and writing westerns way back when. Yeah, fantastic writer, man. Rest in peace. Tell me. What else you got to talk about this episode? Well, Game of Thrones, episode one, yeah. new season, looking what, good, liking what, it. Yeah, so we, far. It looks yeah. like uh, maybe uh, Joffrey's wedding is going to be coming up next. Which I be certainly hope so. You know how weddings in Westeros end up. <laughs> it's a party, man. You those, know what? Screw it. These books are out. I'm just going to throw some people, spoilers out right now. Those people know how to like, party. I am so looking forward to the part in this season when Daenerys gets eaten by her dragon. <laughs> yeah, that is a delightful scene. Uh, and you know what I just watched? What's that? I watched Back to the Future, the original. 
Holds like, up I don't great. think there's been a remake, but I think it holds up fantastically well. I was amazed at how well that movie holds up. There is some of the humor that just it doesn't hold up because it's not funny that Reagan is the president. Right. Yeah. Sure. But okay. Overall, it was great. I watched it with my kids. They were properly ooged out about the whole mother romancing the son thing. As they should have been. As, yeah. Which was good. I was proud of them for feeling ooged out. <laughs> and it's funny. It holds up. And I was totally psyched. I was watching it. And I turned to my wife and I said, this looks like it was filmed in Northern California over there, like uh, Mendocino area. Show enough, it was. Do I know my NorCal or what? You do. So what about you? Oh, no, not about you. We're going to stay with me because I'm the most important person in my whole life. I watched Inside Lewin Davis. This is the uh, latest Coen Brothers film, correct? That is correct. I like Coen Brothers. As do I. Don't really like folk music. Okay. But I like the Coen Brothers enough that I will watch Coen Brothers movies about folk music. Never again. God, was that a boring, meandering movie. It went nowhere long, long scenes that were just folk music. Don't watch this movie. So what is it about? It's about a folk singer who is kind of a loser, surfing people's couches, and he goes nowhere, and that's the movie. Is it in current times or a period piece? No, it's a period piece. Back in the day, there's this other guy singing right near the end of the movie, and he's a young um, Bob Dylan, just getting his start. Are there any quirky characters? Well, there's, what's his name? John, uh, I'm kidding. It's name? a Coen Brothers film. <laughs> well, no, there's really only one quirky character that's worth it. John Goodman's in it. And when, you, when John Goodman shows up, he's great. And you're like, yeah, cool. Okay, it's finally going to take off. And then uh, John Goodman's done. <laughs> and that's it. And yeah, and it was very sad. Wow. And then because I hadn't seen enough bleak crap, I watched Nebraska. <laughs> Is that the one where the old man rides to Nebraska on his riding lawnmower? No, this is the one where the old man tries to walk to pick up his winning lottery winnings, which is all a scam, and his son finally takes pity on him and starts driving him. And you know what? It was well acted, and it was a good story and all, but it just made me feel like slashing my wrists. I believe it was written by a guy from Seattle. He was one of the comedians on the uh, old Saturday Night Live-esque show, Almost Live. He used to be on late nights here in Seattle, and uh, Bob, I think his name is, Bob Nelson. Wow, he certainly got that comedy thing worked out first, didn't he? <laughs> so it's not not a lot of laughs in it, huh? Not there are a couple laughs, but no, not a lot of laughs. It's just kind of a sad movie. So thank God, out of nowhere, I watched this movie. You can see it streaming on Netflix. It My is delightful. I had no idea that this movie even existed. It was called The History of Future Folk. Now. This is a movie about a guy who comes to Earth from another planet and he's going to destroy the Earth, or at least the people of the Earth, so his people can populate this planet. And right before he does, he hears music for the first time. So rather than destroy the Earth, he decides to live among the humans as a human himself, picks up a banjo, and starts playing banjo in bars. <laughs> and it's freaking great. It's wonderful. It's ridiculous. It's silly. It's like a cross between brother from another planet and something that's a lot funnier than that movie <laughs> it looks low budget but the production values are actually really high see it streaming on netflix take oh. my word for it you'll like it well it sounds like they ripped the story off almost completely from the silver surfer so there's that yeah did the silver surfer play a banjo 
He did not. He surfed. He shut the fuck instead. up. Maybe he played a little surf guitar. Probably did. Yeah. He sits in in solos with a man or Astro Man every now and again. I suppose he could. Joe Satriani. Well, speaking of Marvel Comics, uh, took the family to go see Captain America the Winter Soldier this week. Wait, is it Captain America the Winter Soldier? I thought Winter Soldier was like a different guy. The Winter Soldier is a different guy, but it's, I don't know. Is there a colon in there? Who <laughs> Probably. Gives, who gives a shit? You know what movie I'm talking about. It's mm-hmm. Winter Soldier. Loved it. Thought it was great. Totally Did you get a text from the colon? Great. <laughs> yes, that was funny. Uh, in the middle of the movie, I got looked at funny by some of the other patrons. You you're pick up your, to, phone or your phone and go, oh, sorry, I thought it was from a cow's vagina. Yeah, you're supposed to shut the phone off when you uh, go into the theater. So. Loved the movie. I thought it was great. Uh, a ton of inside jokes that you would not expect. Great action and Falcon on the big screen, man. One of my favorite characters from when I was a kid, reading those old Captain America and the Falcon comics. Really cool. Maybe the best Marvel movie since the Avengers. Wow. I will have to watch that. You know, it's weird because, like, in retrospect, I I remember enjoying Iron Man 3 at the time, but that one sort of left, like, a bad aftertaste for me. Yeah, because it was just kind of (laughs) sad. Too much sad. Should have been called Nebraska Man. But it's like uh, Thor Dark World eats a lot of shit online. Somebody had ranked all the Marvel movies, and they ranked that, like, the worst one. And I think I enjoyed that one more than Iron Man 3, so I don't fucking know. But Winter Soldier's better than both of them. So definitely go see it. Take the kids, man. They'll like it. Okay. Okay, and then uh, you remember back in episode 107, I talked about a thing called Indie Van Game Jam. Mm-hmm. Which was a project that was just getting into the uh, Kickstarter phase. And uh, it turns out that it is now, just this last weekend, uh, the first episode has been released. So, oh, wow. To remind you again, uh, Indie Van Game Jam, what it is, it's a short series about uh, a company called Binary Solo, a game studio that's based in Austin, Texas. And the gist of the show is that they are going to drive to different independent game studios across the United States. While they're driving, they're going to make a game in the van, in the style of the studio they're going to visit. So they've got Chad, who's a programmer, Diego, who's an artist, and Zeb, who's a game designer. So they drive to a new city, and they create a game on the road on the way in the van. And then that game that they create, they share with the studio, they get feedback tips, and then they publish the game for free for you and me to play. So the very first episode that just came out last Friday, they go and visit a guy named Rob Locke, who is the creator of a game called Pop Methodology Experiment 1. And what this guy likes to do is he takes uh, existing game genres and kind of puts a twist on them, okay? Okay. So he's based in Chicago. The Binary Solo guys have 48 hours drive to design a game in the van on the way. And the game that they designed was... They thought, okay, a lot of people do first-person shooters. You know what I've never seen before is a second-person shooter. What? So the camera is focused on the protagonist, and the protagonist is wearing shiny sunglasses. So everything you see about where you're running around is a reflection in the sunglasses or over the guy's shoulders. And so the game that they designed is called It's Not Me, It's You, and you can actually download it and play it. You're basically this guy with sunglasses, and you're being chased by zombie snowmen. And you have an axe that you can use to chop at them, 
but you don't want to get too close to them and you're seeing them through the reflection in the shades so it's really hard to kind of gauge the angles and gauge the distance because they're moving towards you so that it just is sounds a, awkward as all hell it totally is but it's also unique and different and kind of fun i played the the first three levels tonight before we podcast it I liked the creativity that went into this series, that we're going to try to do something new and experimental. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it always won't. But uh, just the idea of, okay, you watch this game come to fruition. They try it out. They fine-tune it. And then you get to play it. How often does that happen? Never. And they're doing it for seven episodes. That's pretty impressive. So it's really cool. So I would say check it out. It has kind of the same, I would say, production quality as maybe Strip Search, the Penny Arcade series. Yeah. So it's watchable and it's fun and it doesn't beat you over the head with, we're going to entertain the fuck out of you. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, it kind of stays in its lane. It, I, I will say if you aren't into gaming or sort of familiar with gaming, it sort of jumps you in really quick into terminology. And I'm wondering if, you know, this would appeal to someone like my mom who doesn't play games or doesn't know. I mean, I f- did feel a little bit like it was speaking to people that are already invested in that as a hobby. Yeah. But I thought it was... Well, probably so. I mean, who else is going to watch a series like this, really? Right. But totally entertaining, and I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to see episode two. You can check it out at IndieVanGameJam.com. Uh, right now, it's there, and you can download It's Not Me, It's You, and play it for free. That's all I've got. All right. I think that's enough. I think that was enough, too. Since we were talking about True Detective, why don't we play another Kirby Crackle cut? Let's do it. This is a brand new single released by them in, I think, February. This is The Yellow King.
JT Petty, director of Hellbenders, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show with Stephen Gord. Hey, that's mine. Oh, that's cool. I'll get it back to you. But it's mine. You hey, just you want to come down here and fucking do something about it? Father. I ain't your fucking dad. Everyone, this is Clint, the bishop's son. What's good, Clint? I mean, you understand this. You live a life of sin. To get possessed and kill yourself and literally drag a demon back to hell. Exactly. You must be looking for every opportunity for sin. I'm sinning all the time. All I do is sin. When's the last time you cheated on your wife? 11 months ago. Oh, I had to pay for that one. Exorcism call. Grace compels you back into the pit. Weinberg, did you summon a fucking demon? Send demons to hell no matter what the cost. So I used to know this chick, right? Oh shit! What are you doing? I'm conditioning my knuckles for direct striking capabilities. Are you the only sane one here? Son of bitches, I'll kill you all! Had to find a Bible section. King James, motherfucker! I will do everything to make sure that you're excommunicated by the Sabbath. Can I borrow the Metro card? Yeah, look, it's a monthly, so hang on to it, right? If I don't hear anything by dawn, I'm gonna have to call and swat team. We're not out by dawn, burn a whole fucking building down. All right, Steve here once again with the Bone Bad Show. And joining me now, the writer-director of Hellbenders, our second feature at the Bone Bat Film Festival, J.T. Petty. How you doing, man? Hello, Steve. I'm doing good. Thank Th- you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I got to say, we are absolutely thrilled to be able to present the Northwest premiere of Hellbenders here in Seattle. This is too cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for showing it. Oh, absolutely. So tell me, I, I kind of found when I first saw the trailer, I thought, what a great idea, the whole concept of the Hellbenders. Uh, where did you get the idea for this? God, you know, I mean, like, it, uh, yeah, God is probably the best answer. But um, Exactly, yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's basically just the concept of priests who would have to sin in order to exercise demons. 
it was a time of like you know around 2008 2009 there's like all of these last exorcism type movies coming out right and it seems like every exorcism movie like at some point gets to the idea that somebody has to take the demon into themselves and kill themselves and drag it to hell mm -hmm. and like if that was real the church would have institutionalized it at some point right yeah sure um and once you institutionalize that it becomes ridiculous you know it's like <laughs> you have to have priests who are living in a state of debauchery so that they're ready to go to hell at any moment yes and a big group of priests living in a state of debauchery is just like too much fun not to do <laughs> absolutely and since we ended up having a pope change in 2013 the timing yeah. kind of works watching it now yeah, yeah, the Pope died in the movie. So I was in real life. But I actually, I, I, Pope Francis is great. Awesome Pope. Best Pope in my life so far. Good. Now, one of the things I thought was cool was, you know, in horror movies and different possession films, we've seen Sumerian demons, Babylonian demons, Jewish and Christian demons. But you went Norse, man, with Satur. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, well, I definitely, I loved, I mean, certainly Christian religion so thoroughly crushed most of the European, you know, sort of pagan beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved the idea that gods who are older than Christian-defined gods would be more blasphemous than something that, that coexisted. You sure, know, like something yeah. that was dangerous enough that it actually had to be crushed. <laughs> right, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's also just fun to go back. I mean, all of those stories are so good. And then the, specifically Norse hell is so much fun because even in hell, that was going to be destroyed at the end at the Norse Armageddon. And there was not going to be any heaven, not any hell, not any earth. Like, it was just going to destroy everything. Yeah, just nothing. Just so right? dour and perfect. <laughs> Very cool. Well, one of the other things that was interesting, I thought, is you see a number of clips of possession footage throughout the film. Now, how did that come together? Yes, yeah, so we actually reached out through a website called bloodydisgusting.com who had covered a couple of things I'd made in the past and we invited fans and horror folks out there to make their own possession videos. You know, we actually ended up getting probably, I don't know, 60 or 70 of those. That many. Then, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a bunch. And then we picked out, you know, the best like eight or nine and put those into the movie. So it was great. I mean, it was, it was kind of, kind of amazing to see what people had come up with because it's sort of like the advantage and danger of exorcism movies is that like, most of the basic ingredients are right there. You know, you get some sure. contacts and some makeup and, and pretty much anybody can do it. And it just comes down to how far you're willing to go. Sure. It's like any, anybody can fuck themselves with a crucifix, right? <laughs> you know, it's just like who's willing to go there. <laughs> right. Visually, it gives the film a lot of texture because you have all these different styles, black and white and real grainy. Some things that look like, you know, 70s TV footage and it's all mixed together and it definitely adds a cool texture. Yeah, well, I, right from the start, I didn't want to have any ideas absent from the movie. Like, I never wanted to say we're not going to do that because it'd be stylistically inconsistent. Right. Right? Like, like anything that just gets the story out or makes a joke, it's like, you know, we cut to comics, we talk to the camera, we have found footage stuff mixed in with other things. Like, I think any, anything that works, it's it was just fun. I mean, the movie was, was a lark from the beginning. Yeah, Clifton Collins Jr. does a lot of talking to the camera, actually, at the start of the film, which is really fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I think it's funny. I, I just also feel like audiences are sort of sophisticated enough. I mean, there, there's no real rules left. Right, yeah. I, I would agree with that. You know, and speaking of the cast, you have a very cool cast here. Clancy Brown, of course, who we, we know from Starship Troopers, Carnival. Uh, he's done a ton of stuff. Clifton Collins, Jr. Yeah. Clifton Collins Jr. has been in a, a ton of things. Most recently, Pacific Rim. 
Andre Royal, yeah. Bubs on the Wire, Dan Fogler, Balls of Fury, and Fanboys. I mean, what a cool cast. Yeah, absolutely. No, I was I was insanely lucky with the cast, and, and certainly like the most fun of this movie was just shooting with them. It was way too short a shoot, and I wish we could have spent more time on it, just because it was so pleasurable just to roll the cameras and watch them interact with each other. Like Andre Royo, they're actually there are a bunch of guys who never get to show their comedy chops, right? Like like everybody knows Andre Royo is Bubs from The Wire. Mm-hmm. But you watch him doing like his shtick and kind of like getting into the character and, and finding ways to get jokes out of things. Like his comedic timing is amazing. And like just hearing Clancy Brown, Clancy Brown being blasphemous, like him cursing, just like him. I don't know. You know he's got that amazing oh, gift for profanity voice. But yeah, his, yeah, yeah. Gift for profanity <laughs> is a great way to say it. And yeah, Andre Royo is great because he's got one of the more subdued characters. He's like the one guy amongst the brothers of the Augustine faith who are trying to kind of keep it all together to keep everybody on task. And it's yeah. it's like herding cats. It can't be done. Yeah, totally. Very subtle kind of the way he plays that role, which is very cool. Yeah, he's really fun. He's a funny guy. One of the other people, too, who I didn't mention yet, Larry Fessenden, who's kind of become like the godfather of independent film with all of his great yeah. work with Glass Eye Picks and I Sell the Dead, which we reviewed here on the show and we loved. That was oh, really cool yeah. that you had him on the show. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Larry's a good friend. I mean, Larry's, uh, you know, we don't live that far from each other. We're, we're both sort of New York guys. And it's actually, you know, the first thing I did with Larry was a short called Blood Red Earth, which was a sort of prequel to The Burrowers, mm-hmm. which is this monster western I made for Lionsgate. And uh, uh, Clancy Brown was in The Burrowers as well, right? Yeah, that's how I met Clancy. But so just like as soon as I knew that I was making a uh, sort of horror movie in New York, it was like, okay, I've got to have Larry in there somewhere. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and, and just his whole sort of glass eye family, I mean, is so great, right? I mean, like the... Uh, God, like you talk about I Sell the Dead, Glenn did the title design for Hellbenders. Oh, okay. Uh, and, you know, it's just like everybody inside of Glass Eye. It's like he's sort of sort of building this East Coast independent horror salon kind of a thing, which which I just love. Yes, that is very cool. You got to spend a lot of time, too, shooting in some great Brooklyn locations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right from the start, I wanted to shoot as much on location as possible just to have that sort of... You know, like freebie in the beam kind of feel to it. You know, it just like wants to be like New York. I, I don't want to say '70s because I'm not really a big fan of throwback stuff. But uh-huh. but in the terms of like anything that you shoot in New York, the, the weight of history sort of is is heavy here, right? Like like every building, the, the church we shot in was built in you know 1904, um, <laughs> and all of the neighbors around there were telling us stories about back when it was a Catholic school and back when it was a nunnery and how nobody went on the top floor because of the ghosts and and just like. You know, we're getting those stories from the 80-year-old guy who lives across the street and he's still wearing his Run DMC cap. You know, it's just like <laughs> like all of that New York texture you wouldn't get if you were in studios or you know trying to fake it. Right. Well, and it's not necessarily retro, but there's a scene where the fathers are all going to Staten Island and they're wearing their vestments and Brother Larry's carrying a baseball bat. I'm just like, oh, that look, reminds me so much of the Warriors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it's such a such a great montage. The city. Yeah, totally. No, they could be like one more gang. The, yeah, the absolutely, right? Yeah, they're going to fight the baseball guys next. That's that's how that's going to go down. Yeah. <laughs> Augustine's come out and play. Yay. Now, this film, you actually filmed this in 3D, correct? We did. Did you plan much as far as doing the eye-popping stuff? Or were you thinking more of the depth of field planning when you were figuring out your shots? 
Yeah. So, I mean, basically it was 3D right from the start. I mean, as we were putting the movie together, we found out that we could essentially get our camera package for free if we shot in 3D. Oh, nice. Um, which was, I mean, great sort of production-wise. And, and then also sort of became this awesome creative challenge. Because I eventually got this giant bug up my ass about 3D because currently it's almost entirely used for giant, big-budget CG movies. Yeah. Uh, you know, where you're spending $200 million on some story, so it has to be about giant robots or giant monsters or something. And 3D at that scale is just false, right? Like, if you're watching a monster crush a building, you're looking at something that's 200 yards away from you. Yeah. And sure. with eyes that are two inches apart on your head, there's no parallax, right? There's no 3D information there, so it's all <laughs> fakes. And it ends up looking smaller. Mm-hmm. And I started loving the idea of doing a 3D movie on a really intimate scale, where we're all in like these narrow New York locations and it's all dick jokes and gross out comedy and all this stuff where suddenly like the texture and depth of things is real. And what's making it both grosser and funnier is the uncomfortable intimacy of, <laughs> of being there. Sure. Which is yeah. like, I, I know all this sort of like highfalutin college thesis thought about dick jokes and gross out humor, but I, I like, I honestly think that is where 3d gets interesting. And in movies like Life of Pi or Gravity or something where it's actually a pretty small-scale story mm-hmm. just against a very large backdrop, you actually have a meaning to having it in 3D. And so, like, that was all an awesome challenge. I loved the idea of that. And then the practicality of it just became monstrous because, you know, you're shooting with a camera the size of a mini-fridge <laughs> on New York locations where you suddenly can't dolly through a doorway anymore because the camera just won't fit unless you disassemble it. Wow. Wow. Uh, and on an independent film scale, I have to think, your time was limited. You didn't have an endless production schedule. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was crazy tight. But still, I mean, like, we did plan things out pretty much down to the beat. And, of course, things go wrong. It's independent film. And and we were trying to keep it loose enough that there could still, you know, sort of have the feeling of the comedy bouncing off each other there. But, yeah, it's a 3D. Like, it's, it's still, like, I, I wake up at night sweating about what a fucking pain in the ass that was. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Very cool. Well, it's a great looking film. It's a film that has a lot of laughs to it, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I know our audience is going to love it here in Seattle. Great. What's next for you, JT? What are you working on now? Uh, let's see. I'm, uh, I wrote a video game called Outlast last year, and the DLC is about to come out on that. Oh, too cool. Uh, um, and I'm doing another video game that's based on The Walking Dead. Uh, that's like a, a Telltale Games puts it out episodically. Yeah, we've reviewed it here on the show. I've played the first few episodes. You working on that? Yeah, yeah, I'm on the second season of that one. And that one's great fun. My episode will be out uh, in a couple of months, I guess, and I'm sort of consulting on the whole thing. But that's been great fun. Great game, man. Talk about every episode being a punch in the stomach. Good Lord. Yeah, that's what's fun about it. I mean, it's just like we we sit around being assholes. (laughs) Yeah, how can we put the audience through the ringer this week? Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Very cool. All right, man. Well, one last question we always like to ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. JT, what pisses you off? Um, you know what? I'm actually looking at a, a book on London After Midnight right now. And Lost Film pisses me off. Like like movies that were just like weren't taken care of and just fell apart. Oh, yeah. Threw them in uh, the wet basement. Didn't take care of them. No curation. Exactly. not another copy. And so like we've got all of these like amazing pictures of... Lon Chaney and makeup from a movie that we're never going to see. It's just like, it's such a tease. It's so tantalizing to say like, there's this amazing thing 
by this amazing filmmaker that you love that you will never see. I just that kills me. Yeah, and you you know, like there was that copy in Metropolis that they found a couple of years ago. Occasionally they'll find like nobody knew that there was a print of yeah. something somewhere. And that's just an amazing treasure to occasionally stumble across one of those. Exactly, exactly. And then there's all the examples of things where like you know, Orson Welles made his cut of Lady from Shanghai or whatever, and the studio was like, Yeah, fuck that. We'll we'll <laughs> we'll get rid of that. Like and there's like I'm sure this like I mean it's a great movie, but there's like an even better version of that movie that we might or might not ever see. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Well, thank you so much again for joining us on the Bone Bat Show. Again, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to screen yeah, this too. film. Awesome, awesome. I hope you guys love it. Since that day, you know I've been watching. All right. Once again, The Yellow King by Kirby Crackle. You can check them out at kirbycrackle.com and kirbycrackle.bandcamp.com. You can buy Geekiest Hits today for only $20 for 20 hits. That is so cool. A lot of freaking hits, man. All your favorites, except for Take It From Me. What the hell? I cannot speak to the mind of Kirby Crackle. All right, thank you. We got a lot of people to thank, obviously, going into the film festival. Of course, for this episode, we'd like to thank Guest Star for the bitchin' new theme song, JT Petty, Andy D. Emini, John R. Dilworth, and Kyle Stevens for the interview time, as well as for the music, and to Beefy for joining us on the show, and for the exclusive Kickstarter track. I'd like to thank one last time Nick Gucker for our amazing poster art, and yeah. Alex Hurst for the color assist. I'd like to thank all of the filmmakers who were involved in this year's fest. Also, our sponsors, dude. I'd like to thank Mac and Jack's Brewery, Corner Comics, Scarecrow Video, Games and Gizmos, Dolcetta Artisan Suites, Paizo Publishing, Dark Horse Comics, Oni Press, Vortex Movies and Music, Alternative Cinema, Stalker Farms, and of course, GT Printing Equipment. Yay! Also, thank you again to Vaughn K for the enormous package, Jeff Williams for the donated ticket, and Benza from Germany for the two zombie DVDs and Red Dead Redemption which we'll be giving away at our prize giveaway. And I'd like to give one last shout-out to our Kickstarter backers. You want to trade off on these? Sure. All right. Thank you to Eric Morgret. Damien L. Smolko. DZ of Cinema Diabolica. Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre. Jeffrey Williams. Theodoric of York. Medieval Barber. Tracy and Scott Morris. Bit Dog. Brett, the East Coast Connection. Derek Reed from Drunken Zombie. Kimberly Poole. Kyle Poole. John Merle Holes. Matt R. Lore. Stuart, annoying fan number three. <laughs> Lorelai Shannon. Andrew Tam. Andy Normus. Homeschool. Stalker Farms. Iggy Palios. Julie Ray. Oscar Ray. Jason Mortensen. Arenaceous Angulus. Julie Hoverson of 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Curtis Q. Lowe. Tony K. Aaron Burke. Grant Arundel. Kevin Spitzer and Central Cinema. Bubba and Dixie. The Benjamins. Mike Hunt. <laughs> George Huddleston Kohler. Cheryl Richmond. Elisa Matter and Andrew McIntosh. Limo. David K. Marple. 
Reverend Josh Merrimore. Hey, that's where I turned the page. Monster Kid Radio. Scott Purdy, otherwise known as Skiznot. The Wine Gardens. G.G. Silverman, author of the forthcoming book Vegan Teenage Zombie Huntress. Seattle Geekly. Death Star. And Jerry Cooch. Yay! Yay! Give it up for our Kickstarter supporters, making this year's Film Fest a reality. It's been a lot of fun getting to this point, and we appreciate all the support. Our usual bullshit show phone number is 425-296-6557, or you can reach us via email to steve at bonehand.com. Got new content on bonehand.com many Sundays. It's also the home of the Heavy Half Hour. And you can find my stuff at mightywombat.com unless I'm spending the week cutting a stencil, which is not like, <laughs> you know, cutting a part. You got to do that. You got to. You just got to cut a stencil. You can follow my Twitterings at mighty underscore wombat, and you can follow me on Facebook at mightywombat.com, all spelled out. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm Bonehand over there. We also have a Bonebat Twitter feed for all of your film festival and show news. And we also have a Bonebat Facebook group as well as a festival event page, which is a great place to go see trailers, find out other information about the festival. If you're on the fence deciding whether or not to come, check that out and see if it might be worth your while. Now, here's the warning. As of the moment we're recording this, we've got about a dozen tickets left. They are going fast. Last weekend, we had a big run. We have a serious chance to sell out this thing. So if you want to get tickets, do not sleep on this, my friend. Buy them. All right. Thank you again for listening. If you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Our closing tune tonight, one more tune, one last cut from our good friends Kirby Crackle. This is Zombie Apocalypse from their debut album. Longtime favorite of mine. I hope you dig it once again. I am Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. Yeah, I do have a good one. some snacks and get back home but these ghouls are trying to eat my bones when i finally get home i turn on the tv the undead on the evening news is all i can see so i pop in a movie and i try to relax listen to me while i tell you some facts fact the zombie apocalypse is messing up my week internet is always down can't update the twitter stream the zombie apocalypse it wouldn't be so bad if these zombies hadn't bitten my mom and dad i decapitated them and now they're buried in back 
I called my friend to see if he could come by my place. By the time he reached my door, he was missing his face. I feel kind of bad that I did not let him in, but without his lips, he still had a grin. The zombie apocalypse is messing up my week. It's hard to watch the daily show over all the cries and screams. The zombie apocalypse. I'd rather fight a shark. I read in a book that you can punch 'em in the eye, but sharks are my problem. Yeah, and zombies are. I've never seen so many girls outside without their clothes on. Normally, I think that's awesome, but it's actually a turnoff 'cause I'm not into necrophilia. That's a fact. Zombies moving slow. I feel like Jackie Joyner, cursed it like the popular kid in school, and everybody wants a piece of me, but they can't. Cause I lock my pieces intact. It's getting kinda lonely out here by myself. The food's running low. There's dust on the shelf, but at least I have the voices arguing in my head, which is much better than being undead. I think you just got a text from a cow's vagina, though. <laughs> I told her to stop texting me. <laughs> oh, here's the problem. I signed up for friends and cow's vagina plan. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that. 